It's Kendrick Oakley here with Real Life Church, and this is our weekly podcast. Hey, enjoy this word. So last week we began a series titled Immovable, and I'm excited about this series. A quick overview is, it, you know, the name kind of tells it that we are on this journey of becoming immovable in Christ or unmoved, and we're emphasizing three areas. In other words, we looked at this series, and we're going to go through the book of Philippians, but we say kind of what are some targets that we have in this journey? And we want to become specifically immovable in three areas. We want to become immovable in our faith, immovable in our joy, and immovable in our surrender. Another way of saying that is we want to become unmoved in our faith, So when things come at us, we're no longer moved by what we see. We're unmoved in our faith. We want to become unmoved in our joy. I believe that there are many Christians whose joy only lasts on Sunday mornings from about 11 o'clock to about 1230. And the moment we leave here and get in the car, we've come back into the atmosphere that we've been living in of chaos, of depression, of pain. And the slightest thing begins to, to, to move our joy. Like what happens? on Monday ruins Friday. And so I I believe God wants to strengthen us so that we become immovable in our, did you know that's possible in the kingdom? That you can walk into a realm of joy and literally never move from that place. Like no matter what happens around you, no matter what happens to you, no matter the circumstances, you become immovable in your joy. And the last thing is we want to become immovable in our surrender. That no matter what temptation comes our way, we've decided in our hearts that I have surrendered to Jesus. And and we're not going to be so easily moved by the things of this world that we're becoming immovable in our surrender. So our approach is going to be expository or rather a running commentary. So in two weeks, this week, next week, the third week, we're going to jump into an expository type of preaching to where we actually dive through the book of Philippians. So as we dive into this today, let me let me define let me define the word immovable so to make sure that we are on the same page. Here's the definition that we are using. It means fixed in place and impossible to move. Fixed in place and impossible to move. Fixed in place and impossible to move. There's a scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We're using this because this isn't just some thing that we've come up with. Like This is the word that throughout the word, the Bible is encouraging us to become steadfast, to be steadfast. And here, here's this scripture where Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable. Those words are very similar, but they're not identical. But be steadfast and immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I want to preach from the title today, Anchored at the Bottom. Can you say that? Anchored at the Bottom. One more time. Anchored at the Bottom. If you're taking notes, that is the title. Anchored at the Bottom. Let me bring some word clarity. I love wording. I think articulation is very, very important. Notice that we are saying... We are becoming immovable in the faith, immovable in our joy, immovable in our surrender. What we're not saying, and I know this might seem small, but I think small things make a difference. What we're not saying is we need a movable faith and we need a movable joy because that would that would say basically that the one that God has given us is 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 not that. If we're saying, Lord, we need, then then what we're doing is we're putting the pressure on him and we're saying we need you to send us an immovable faith and immovable joy. But what I understand is that faith, joy, surrender, all of those things are already immovable. They come from God. The faith is immovable. The joy, the peace. What did Jesus say? He said, I give you my peace. Not like the world gives you. This is my peace. This comes from me. It is immovable. 
So, so, so we're not saying that, Lord, we need you to do something here because it's already been done. Like at the cross, Jesus has supplied everything that we need. Peter says that we have received everything we need for life and godliness already. The faith is immovable. Joy is immovable. Peace is immovable. Your surrender can be immovable because Jesus has already won the victory. So now we have the ability to be immovable in our surrender. So what we're saying is these things already are and we are growing up into these things. The faith isn't immovable. We are. His joy isn't movable. We are. And so we are anchoring down and we're growing into these areas. I'm reminded of a ship that a ship has been equipped with what it needs. Sails uh, help it to uh, uh, guide and, and, and go in the direction that it needs to go. And so it's equipped with cells and, and those are able to catch the wind and, and that dictates the direction that it's going to go in. Some ships uh, would have cannons that remind us that although this is a journey and there is a destination, it's also a war. That, that Paul said, do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Don't get so busy with guiding the ship that you forget that there's enemies all around you. And so ships are equipped with these cannons because a lot of times there was warfare. And then there's this other piece that is equipped on a ship called the anchor. And it's this metal piece. You can release it. It travels to the bottom. And the way that it's been created, what is it, it was created to actually hook into the bed of the sea. Because we have to realize that without an anchor, a ship is under the control of the wind and the waves. Because it's sitting on top of the water, the water is moving, the waves are moving, there's only one thing that is immovable, and that is the bed of the sea. So, are y'all with me? So strategically, you have an anchor, the genius of understanding that if we are on top of what is moving... That if we are in a world that is moving, if we are in a job, in a workplace that is moving and everything around me is inconsistent. Like if you are waiting for consistency in this world, you're never going to find it. If you're waiting for the waters to settle, they may settle, but waves will come again. Like if you're waiting for the wind to stop blowing, then you're, you're, you're just going you're gonna to live and die unsatisfied. That there's certain things that are not going to be settled until we get into eternity. Where he said, I will wipe away every tear. Until then, you're going to cry. Amen. And while you're crying, I'm bottling your tears. That there's going to be a day in heaven where sickness is no more. Until then, you're going to have some colds. Amen. You're going, you're going to catch a few stomach bugs. In this, the, the, We're living in a world of inconvenience. You are a ship on top of a water and the water is moving sometimes in directions that you don't want it to go. And the wind is blowing and you can't control the wind. And so here is the key. The only way to make it and to become stable is to anchor into the only thing that is immovable. Somebody say anchor. anchor. We have to anchor into what is immovable. Let me put it like this. If I hook into what is immovable, then what is moving can no longer move me. If I hook into what is immovable, then what is moving can no longer move me. Because listen, we are anchored at the bottom. Winds may come, waves may flow, but our stability will be determined by if we are anchored at the bottom. Can I deal with something before we move forward? Yeah. 
you know I always got to deal with something because, because we, got, we have to lay foundation. Here's the first thing that if we're going to, because today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what, what it looks like and what it means to become immovable in our faith, immovable in our joy, and immovable in our surrender. We're going to do this overview, and what we're doing is we're setting up this whole series so that by the time we get into Philippians chapter 1, we got some momentum, and we're all on the same page, and now we can just dive into the Word. And so we're kind of painting this picture, and today we're going to talk about all three of the anchors that we are striving to release and get set at the bottom, uh, uh, which is which is Christ. But before we do, as we before we talk about faith and before we talk about joy and before we talk about surrender, can we talk about hope? Because what I have realized, none of this is going to work if we don't deal with the first issue. And the first issue is, if you're taking notes, write this down, misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. Here's the first thing that I want to deal with in terms of misplaced hope is this. Our hope is not in what God can do, but in who he is. This is very important. Our hope is, in not, is not in what God can do, but in who he is. Let me say it this way. Our hope is, in not, is not in what God can do for us, but who he is to us. What, I, what I've realized is that a lot of the trouble is we have placed our hope in the wrong areas and in the wrong things. Yeah. This is going to be very important as we move into faith because hope is the mother of faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the first area that I see a mistake in a lot of times is what we, and it's hard to understand, it's hard to decipher if this is us, but a lot of Christians, they actually have anchored their hope in what God can do for them rather than who he is to them. Yeah. So when my hope is in what God can do, our hope is changed. Our hope is it's it's anchored in changed circumstances. That's where our hope is. It's in changed circumstances. Therefore, when circumstances don't change, our faith begins to crumble. Because without realizing it, you are anchoring your hope in something changing in your life. And so as a result of that, when it doesn't change, when something doesn't shift in your life, when a miracle doesn't happen, what what begins to happen is a lot of times as believers, we get angry at God. Have you ever known somebody to be angry at God because something didn't happen in their life? It means that my hope was in what God can do for me rather than who he is to me. Sometimes God even has to delay to make sure your hope is rightly anchored in him and not in what he can do. Yeah, he'll do it. He has no problem with doing that. Sometimes an unchanged circumstance is the only thing that can change you. Yeah. Wow. Stay with me. So, so, sometimes him, cha- him not changing the circumstance is the only way that he can transform you. Because whatever circumstance needs to change in your life is temporal. It's not eternal. It's a temporary circumstance that you are needing God to change in your life. But I believe God is willing to withhold temporary changes in your life to work on your eternal soul. We serve an eternal God, and that's why sometimes it's hard to connect with him. It's because we see everything temporally. We see everything from a temporal lens, and he's looking at eternity. One day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day unto him. It may seem like it's forever to you. When are you going to move? And it's just yesterday. It's one breath. Our life is but a vapor. And so God uses temporary things, but his main purpose is to get after our hearts, to get after our souls, to change us and transform us. And sometimes that can only be done in the waiting place. The first issue we make is we place our hope in what God can do for us rather than who he is to us. God is bigger in his promise. We do not anchor our hope in his promise. We anchor our hope in the one who made the promise. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. God is serious about this. This is why he fulfilled a promise and then he told Abraham, go sacrifice Isaac. I need to make sure that your hope is not anchored in the promise, but your hope is anchored in me. I need you to know that even if you kill Isaac, the one who gave him can resurrect him. That's why Abraham did it. 
The New Testament decodes it and said that that he was willing to to kill his son because he knew that God was able to raise him from the dead. This is us anchoring our hope in who God is and not what he can do for us. I believe prophetically in this room, some of your answers are being delayed because you are hoping in that answer rather than the one who is answering it. We have to get to a place where we say, look, if nothing changes, God is good and he is where my hope is. If my body is never healed, God is good and he is where my hope is. Here's another issue is we place our hope in a destination. But I want to say this. Our hope is not in a destination. God has to be our destination. We're very destiny driven. We're very destinational, right? Many of us are, are under the weight of Christianity because it's a one big destination to you, right? And so now you feel shame and you feel this and I'm not qualified. Well, that tells me that you're looking so much at the end result and your entire relationship is tied up with you getting to this, this end result that you're missing the joy of the journey. Yeah. What if I told you as a believer, God wants to enjoy the journey with you? Because from his eyes, you already are where you need to be. Catch me. He he, he sees the beginning from the end. You are already the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did for you. When you stand before him, you're already righteous. You're already perfected. That is the purpose of the gospel. And it means that you still have to walk it out in your life. But it means on your way there, God ain't mad at you. (laughs) On my way to righteousness, I'm already righteous. Somebody say, enjoy the journey. journey. We put our hope in a destination. And what I want to tell you today is ultimately God is the destination. Don't get caught up in the trap of using God for your destination. Come on, somebody. Don't get caught up in the trap of using God as just a helper to get me where I need to go. God is the destination. He's the beginning and the end. Everything starts and ends in him. He is the ultimate place. He's the destination. It's about getting in him. It's about living in him. Everything begins and ends in him. God is not the doorway. He is the door and the room that you walk into after you walk through the door. He's the door and he is the destination. He's the one. Well, a lot of times we treat God as the door into my next season, the door into my destiny, the door. No, 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 no. He is actually the room as well. He's the door. He's the room. He's the reason he is the ultimate destination. It would be so miserable to live in destiny and out of God. And in that place, you're not in destiny. Because as a believer, the destiny is Eden. It's living in this place And there's so many people outside of Eden working to become something for God. When the destination is God himself. Hope, this is why hope is important. Hope determines where I settle and faith is the anchor that I release. If you can imagine the ship on the water, there's a lot of different destinations. There's a lot of different places. But this is why hope is very important because it determines where I settle. The hope says we're going to settle here. And faith says because we're settling here by hope, I'm releasing this anchor of faith down into the water. But hope determines where you settle. This is why we have to deal with misplaced hope, because sometimes we're releasing faith, but we've settled in the wrong places. We've decided to anchor our hope in the wrong places, in the wrong things. Hope determines where you fix your eyes. Hope determines your focus. Hope determines where you fix your eyes. This is why the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. But hope deferred means you were looking at the wrong thing because God can never be deferred. Hope deferred means that you were placing your hope in the wrong thing and that thing dissipated. 
Hope determines where we fix our eyes. Here's what the scriptures say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4, uh, 17 through 18. It says, for our light and momentary affliction, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Another translation says, our light and momentary, our temporary afflictions cannot compare to the eternal glory that is waiting for. That was an amen spot. And then he goes on to say this. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. Your hope determines where you fix your eyes. This is why hope is very, very important. I believe that as believers, the first issue is we are setting our hope on what is seen. That there's so much hope. We fixed our eyes on the things of this world. We fixed our eyes on the temporal. And he says, no, 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 this light pain can't compare to what's waiting on us. Can I tell you the real problem? The problem is, is we've lost an eternal perspective. We don't really see eternity. We don't really see that this life is so small in such a vapor. And, and, and can you imagine this? In the next life, it's not going to be 70 years. It's not going to be 100 years. It's not going to be 200 years. It's not even going to be 1,000 years. Listen to me. It's forever. Yeah. Amen. Well, how long is forever? Forever. <laughs> well, how long is that? It's forever. Now, our, our, our finite minds have a hard time comprehending that literally there's no end to it. Yeah. On and on. Are y'all seeing this? Yeah. So we're fixing our eyes on what is eternal. Somebody say immovable faith. Let's deal with this first anchor number one. Here's what Hebrews 1.11 says. It says, now faith is the substance of things. Come on, Bible readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, now faith is the substance of things. Come on, everybody can catch on now. Now, now faith is the substance of things. We're waiting on about three people in the back. I see you. Now, faith is the substance of things. One more time. Now, faith is the substance of things. So what comes first? Hope. Hope is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is the mother of faith. If you have no hope, faith has nothing to attach itself to. Faith, listen, is the substance of things you are hoping for. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Listen, the evidence of things not seen. So hope is the mother of faith. So here is what the journey looks like. It has to begin with hope. It starts with, I'm hopeful for this. It starts with the words, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that my marriage is going to change. Come on, Catholic Church. I'm hopeful that my children are going to turn to the Lord. I'm hopeful that my debt is going to be paid. Do you know what the word amen means? This is why we do it. We're going to talk about it in a moment. It literally is a faith declaration. It literally means because I believe this, I'm saying amen. I'm saying so be it and I receive it. I'm hopeful my body is going to be healed. I'm hopeful that this, this, this thing that I'm walking through, that God is in the midst of this thing. I'm hopeful that, that, that there's a new job and a better environment for me. I'm hopeful that whatever I'm addicted to now, I'm not going to be addicted to for long. I'm hopeful that God is breaking these chains. I'm hopeful that God is transforming my heart. I'm hopeful that God is moving in my siblings and moving in my family members. It begins with I'm hopeful. Now, what happens is as you marry your hope in the word mm-hmm. flow with me Come on. as you marinate your hope in the word this is why hope is deferred because hope is like a pregnancy you, you get pregnant with hope yeah. but that thing has to come full term yeah. so we're pregnant with do I have any people that are pregnant with hope yeah. Yeah. 
that there's a hope on the inside of you. You're impregnated with it. You don't see it yet. It hasn't manifested yet, but you've been carrying this hope in your belly. And what happens is we have to nurture it. We have to feed it with the word of God. Yeah. That, that when you're pregnant, there are things you have to do. You have to change your diet. You have to get prenatal vitamins. There's things that the baby needs inside of the womb. And so what happens when there is hope, a lot of people just die at hope. And their hope is deferred because hope has a process. Hope is a, is a fetus that has to grow and it has to be birthed out. But you walk and you're pregnant with hope. And what happens is as you marinate hope in the word of God, as you feed hope the word of God, what happens is you become full term. And eventually, if you continue to declare what God has said over your hope, to read the word, to pray from the word of God, from your hope, what happens is your water going to break eventually and something's going to break in the realm of the spirit. And there's going I'll preach to myself in here. There's going to be a birthing out. And what happens now you move from I'm hopeful to I'm faithful and I'm convinced. So there's a journey, though. See what the devil wants to do. He comes to kill. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What he wants to do is he's okay with you getting a little hope today because there's demons at the doors who's just going to pluck it out of your belly or pluck it out on Wednesday or pluck it out because Susan made you mad on Monday. And and what, what, what has to happen is he begins to steal the hope because he cannot allow your hope to turn into faith. Listen, because faith is the substance of Now, when it reaches the realm of faith, it is immovable. Uh When it reaches the realm of faith, listen, it is unstoppable. Listen, the devil can stop it when you're hoping. The devil can lie to you when you're just hopeful. But when a believer reaches the realm of not just saying I'm hopeful, but I am convinced, there is absolute, I'll preach to myself, April, there is absolutely nothing that the enemy can do. But his agenda is to keep you from giving birth. His agenda is to steal the seed of hope. And this is why we got to become immovable, because we get a little bit of hope. And all the devil got to do, let me tell you his main secret. The, the Bible says, don't be ignorant. What time is it? It says, don't be ignorant to the devil's devices. Here, here's what the devil likes to do. You get a little bit of hope that your child is going to turn, and then all of a sudden, he act, a, he act a plum fool next Tuesday. Come on, somebody. You are right about that. He, you, you get a little bit of hope. You get a little bit of hope that God is getting ready to move in your finances and then you got a flat tire on Saturday. You get a little bit of hope that God is moving in your marriage and then you turn around and leave a prophetic word and step into the biggest argument you have ever, has anybody ever encountered? You step into the biggest argument you've ever had in your life. That's what the devil loves to do. He loves to lie. Listen, because if you come into agreement, I'll preach to myself, if you come into agreement with the lie, then it never moves into the realm of faith and the only way to please God is to have I sense prophetically this is why I'm staying here for a little bit and I'm gonna preach until you get it if you say amen we're gonna move on to the rest I need to make sure that you're getting this because I believe that the devil is lying to some of you I believe that you've made it so easy for the enemy that all he has to do is he identifies the areas in which you are hopeful and then that's where he assigns his attacks. And if he can just convince you that what is going on around me, he can take the the seed out of your belly and you will never. But when you reach the realm of saying, no, 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 this is my hope and I'm going to guard it. Have you ever seen a pregnant woman? So she turns into a ninja. Something happens when she's carrying another life because she is now determined to bring this baby to term. She eats different. She craves random weird stuff and makes me go. Sorry, I'm going on a rant. And, 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 and so, and, but what happens is she, is she begins to walk different. She covers her belly. What there, there, there's, 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 there's a way that a woman that is with child lives and what you can notice it. You can see it before you see it. It changes the way they walk. 
It changes the way they talk. It changes how they see the world. It changes what they're going to do. And I want to tell you that that is how you have to treat the hope that is in your heart. You have to guard it. You have to marinate it. You have to feed it. Some of you have hope that continues to die because you ain't got no vitamins that you're feeding it. But when you wake up in the morning and you feed your hope the word of God, it begins to grow in your belly. And all you have to do is you have to wait and you have to wait. But before you realize it, you may not believe it now. You may just be hopeful. But before you realize it, that thing is going to switch and faith is going to come out. And when you get into the realm of faith, you are a different person. When you get into the realm of faith, you get into Kanye status, da, 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 can't tell me nothing. It doesn't matter what comes your way. You are absolutely convinced of what God is. That's a dangerous Christian. You're absolutely convinced. And I believe that we are not seeing what we need to in the body of Christ is because there's too many hopeful Christians and not enough living in the realm of faith. I'm hopeful, but I'm not convinced yet. Somebody say amen. Second Corinthians. My rant is over. 20. For in him, every one of God's promises is a yes. That's the Bible. For in him, every one of his promises is a yes. And for that reason, it is through him we say amen. A man is not a petition. A man is a faith declaration. A man means that I'm praying for this and I believe that it is already a yes. And because of that, I respond by saying, so be it. I respond. Amen is a powerful, powerful word. I respond by saying amen. So here is the question. Faith is the realm of saying I'm convinced. What is God trying to get you to be convinced of? What are you just kind of hoping for, but you need to become convinced of? How does faith grow? Here's a scripture on the screen, Colossians chapter 2. And and Dantre actually read this. Uh, today in the prayer. Um, This is what Paul says. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to live your life in him. Let your roots grow down into him. Listen, and let your lives be built on him. Then everybody say then. Then. Because we get mad at God, but a lot of times God gave a process. And we're like, God, when is the then? And he's like, when you do what was before the word then. (laughs) Well, when you do what after the word then, when you do what's before the word then, when you do what's before the word then, then come on, somebody. That's why I put then there. So we got to listen and look at the words then and we got to evaluate. Are we doing what's before the then? You do before the then, he does after the then. Okay, then your faith will grow strong. In the truth you were taught, uh-huh. and you will overflow with thanksgiving. Let your roots grow down deep. What does that mean? It means that when, when that, that your, your tree is above the ground and you can't see the roots, but what they say is how tall the tree is, is most times how deep the roots are. Yeah. And he's saying, let your roots grow down deep. We have a tree, my wife, we're not very good with plants. I say we, it's really her, but I said we for marriage purposes. <laughs> We're not that good, but yet we like them, but we kill them. Like, don't bring plant. They don't last long. I don't know. We just don't water them. I don't know why they can't grow without water. They just need to learn how to grow without water. And so, and a lot of times we get like trees or whatever, and we don't read the instructions because each plant is a little bit different. But we got, she brought home, I'm like, why? She spent way too much money on something that we know we're going to kill this thing. <laughs> She brings it home. She plants it. Right. And the thing about it is it continually tips over. And we know what the problem is. The problem is we need to dig it deeper and plant it deeper. And we just kind of don't. We kind of do a little bit. We just haven't had the time to go out and actually dig that down. And what he's saying in this scripture is that your roots are going to have to grow if you want to become stable. If when the wind blows, every time the wind blows, that thing tips over. It doesn't matter how pretty it looks above the ground. Some of us Christians uh, can put on all that we want to put. It matters what's underneath the ground. This is what the word 
person. He said, don't, don't, don't look at him the way a human would because I don't look and I don't see people like you see them. I'm looking what's underneath the ground. And he's saying, let your roots grow down deep in Christ and let your lives be built on him. My faith grows strong as I build my life on Christ. Here's another way of putting it. Our stability or our ability to stand depends on the foundation we are standing on. You are only as sturdy as the foundation underneath your feet. If you were going to examine what's underneath your feet, if you were going to examine, because all of us are building, that's what Paul said. Yeah. We're all building. Oh, I don't got time to get into that. You got a few minutes. Come on with it. We're all building. And if we were going to take the time to examine what's under your feet and the foundation, what have you been building with? Because everything that you build with becomes a part of your foundation. Yeah. You can't get mad at nobody for the foundation that you have chosen to build with. Yeah, that's good. Every decision becomes a part of your foundation. What, what is underneath your feet? Is it being built on your opinion? Is it being built upon the opinions of others? Oh, that's good. Come on. Out of the fear of man? Yeah. Is it being built upon the culture? You're just kind of taking the stones that you see other people laying in their life. You gotta take in the stones that you see on social media because you put hashtag goals next to everything that you see. And are you kind of building oh, the way of the cult? What how what are you built? What is the foundation under your feet? Or are you building with the word of God? Because only the word of God in that foundation is going to stand. Everything else will crumble. Everything else will crumble. We build, listen to me, on the word of God by obeying it. Yeah. Can I teach? Yes, sir. We build on the word of God by obeying. This is why obedience is important. Every time you obey the word, it becomes a stone and a board and a nail, and it comes a part of your foundation. In fact, that's the only way. It doesn't become a part of your foundation by hearing the word. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's true. So Are you with me? Yes, sir. You can hear every single sermon that every single preacher preaches from here until the day you die, and your foundation be nothing but the world, be nothing but your desires. Literally, you can hear every sermon. You can listen to it over and over. Listen, you can get the podcast. You can get it on YouTube. You can play it at night. You can put it on your car. You can hear it all that you want, but it does not become a part of your foundation Mm -hmm. by hearing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It only becomes a part of your foundation. Can I talk about building when you obey it? Half of y'all are not convinced. So let's go and see what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 7, he says, everyone who hears my word only and doesn't act upon it is like one who's building their house on sand. And when the wind comes and when the storm comes, it's going to fall. Now, if Jesus prophesied that, I'm going to believe it. It's going to fall. And then he says, and great shall be its fall. He said, but anyone who hears my words and does my word will be like one who is building their house. Now, is he talking about your home? Obviously not. He's talking about your life. Will be like one who's building their house on rock. And when the storm comes to the righteous and the unrighteous, to the just and the unjust, he can bless who he wants to. He can honor who he wants to. He can do what he wants to. Proverbs comes and says that if you kind of you obey God and you stay away from bad, you're going to prosper. And everybody says amen. And then they wrote the book of Job. Come on, somebody. (laughs) 
and, and, and Job is, is a poetic type of writing to counteract to say, yeah, you can live right, but God is God and he can do whatever he wants to do. He is God and he is sovereign. Where were you, Job, when I set the foundation of this world? I am still God. You cannot follow a formula. There will be storms that come to you. You can live your best week and then go through hell the following week. He has made it to be so that you don't put your hope in a religious formula that if I tie, he gonna bless me. You can tie and your engine can blow. Somebody come on in this place. Because you are tithing, you are giving, you are praying, you are walking in the word of the Lord, not because of what he can do for you, but who he is to you. Every time, the littlest things, you find anything, you say, I'm going to bathe this this week. Ooh, something shifts under your feet. When you obey the word, it takes an old board out that was going to crumble and it places it with the firm foundation of the word of God. Somebody say immovable joy. Let me start by saying this. Joy is not attached to the temporal. It's anchored in eternity. This is why many of us don't have joy. Because you've attached your joy to the temporal. It must be anchored in eternity. Why are you so joyful? Why? Well, it's because my joy is not attached to the world. It's because my joy is attached to eternity. I wish we had time to go through scripture, but the New Testament apostles make it very clear. Set your hope on this inheritance. And I'm, I'm very, very heartbroken at the church in America right now because we become so temporal minded. I believe the average Christian has no record. They don't think about heaven. We don't think about what's waiting on us. We don't think that this is such a small, it's literally the Holy Spirit is a down payment. That's what the Bible says. Come on, he's enough for me. But the Bible says he's a down payment. He's just the assurance. I've given you the Holy Spirit so that you know that there's so much more waiting for you. That there's this crown of life. I am convinced that if you do not get eternally focused, you will not be able to fulfill the race. That is God, that God has set upon your life. This is why Paul was able to say, forgetting that which is behind, pressing on towards what is ahead. I am focused on finishing my race to receive the crown, to to hear the words, well done. And so our joy has to be anchored in eternity. When your joy is anchored in eternity, then even when you suffer on earth, you're still joyful. Because my joy is not attached to anything the world can give me. My joy is anchored in eternity. Here's the way I like to put it. An eternal perspective produces an internal joy. An eternal perspective produces an internal joy. We've already read that for our light and momentary affliction cannot compare to the to the eternal glory that is waiting on us. Here's what James says in two in in chapter one, verses two through four. It's going to mess with you in America. But this is what he says. He says, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, Mm -hmm. whenever you face trials. Americans say, uh uh-uh, this is not, that is not Jesus today. That is not Jesus today. I I need to see some prosperity in this thing. Don't read James. In fact, don't read the new covenant. Because all of the apostles that we ascribe to be died for Jesus. They lay down their life. He says, count it joy. Consider it joy whenever you face bad stuff. He said, because you know that the testing of your faith. So you see joy in faith together in context. Mm -hmm. And the sandwich in the middle is trouble. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. What what, what are we really on the journey of of doing? Becoming 
immovable, being able to persevere through whatever may come our way. He said that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. Oh, I could just preach on that for 25 minutes. Let perseverance finish its work. What if, what, if, what if the way of that happening is God saying, I can't move yet. I can't move yet. I, I need you to learn perseverance. I need, if I do it now, you won't actually grow. The situation will change, but you will still be so unstable. You will still be so weak and frail. You, I got to wait. I got to wait this out because I'm needing to strengthen you. I'm needing you to become immovable. I'm needing you to, to, to become, to, to persevere. And I need perseverance to work its course. Let me tell you a secret. The, longer, the, the, the quicker you learn it, your situation begins to shift. If you, if you discover what is God doing in me in this and you do that, guess what? He can change the circumstance. But if you don't see that, guess what? You will have to remain in that season until you get it. You sitting there mad at God, but you don't understand what he's doing on the inside of you. You sitting there like this. And that's the reason. What is this going to change when you change? So the, the circumstance, he uses these temporal things and he's working something on the inside of you. I just, when are you going to hurry up? When you don't care if I hurry up or not, because you've learned patience. You've reached this place to say, God, if you do it or if you don't, I'm lifting my hands. I'm praising you. I'm worshiping you. You are worthy. What you would see is that thing will change so quick because God is finishing his work on the inside of you. Let perseverance finish his course so that you may be mature and complete. Wow. Lacking nothing. So how do we really grow, become mature, become complete and lack nothing? We consider it joy when trials come and we allow the trial to make us immovable. This is the way that we grow in our faith. Let me tell you a threefold weapon. If you learn this threefold weapon, it's in the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is what Paul says. Be joyful in hope. We've talked about hope. Have you seen the three words correlated in scripture? Faith, hope, and joy all intertangled. Be joyful in hope. Listen, patient in affliction. Listen, uh-oh, you can't miss this part. Faithful. Somebody say faithful. Faithful. We got to say that one more time. Yeah, we do. Come on. Say faithful. Faithful. Faithful in prayer. This is a threefold weapon that will cause you to become immovable. If you would learn how to walk in these three things, nothing will be able to stop you as a believer. You be joyful in hope. You're marinating the hope on the inside of you. You're joyful. You're hoping towards this. You've become patient and affliction. In other words, you're not just crying for it to be over. It doesn't mean that it feels good, but you've learned to surrender your comfort in order to be conformed, okay? I'm patient in affliction, and in the midst of that, I'm going to be faithful in prayer. I'm going to be faithful in prayer. Let me tell you, this is how you cultivate. This is a lot of information. Come on. You cultivate joy by rejoicing. Yeah. Joy has to be cultivated. It can't become stale. Yeah. Okay? When your joy, let me tell you, well, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm mad, I'm angry. It all simply means the joy that Jesus gave you, you allowed it to get stale. Yeah. When joy gets stale, depression comes. Yeah. Mm. The joy is already in you. How do you know that? Because God is in you. Yeah. <laughs> joy is already in you. How do you know that? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. He's the one that produces it. Yeah. Joy is already in you. You have a responsibility to keep it alive and fresh. Yes, indeed. And the way that we cultivate joy is through rejoicing. You come into a place like this today in the midst of whatever you're going through and you say, I'm going to make the decision to cultivate my joy. And you lift your hands up and you begin to worship and you begin to tell God how good he is. 
You begin to say, God, I love you. You are worthy of every praise. Even if my situation never changes, you are worthy. I honor you. I adore you. God, you're good. What you're doing is you're cultivating joy. You know what the opposite is? Is when you complain, you cultivate depression. I don't know why it's so dark and gloomy in my home. Well, can you do me a favor? Can, can you take this audio recording? Uh-oh. Can you take this recorder and just put it on your uh, dining room table and put one in your bedroom and, um, and just allow me to have a week to listen to the words that you speak in your home? Bring it to me in seven days and I will let you know where the problem is. Are y'all with me? What about video? I don't have to see the video because pow- the, the life and death are in the... Come on, somebody are in the power of your tongue. I don't need to see what you look like. Just, just put this recorder in every room of your home and let me, let me take a just one week diagnosis of the words that are coming out of your mouth because I would go to the limb to say that your words are creating your environment. Yes, it is. Come on. So true. And then let's meet back together. I wouldn't have nobody coming to me for counseling. That's true. Because we want the answer to be in a man. The answer is in your home. The answer is in your soul. So here's what we need to do. You bring that back to me. And I'm going to take a listen. And then let's meet again. And then... Um, this is never going to work out. When you said that, it released something into your atmosphere. Because the devil has no power, so he has to use your tongue. (laughs) Because he knows you are the one with authority. He's not. Come on. on. The devil doesn't have an authority. You have the authority. He has to use your tongue. How does he use your tongue? He manipulates your mind. This is just, I'm just teaching. Is this okay? He he manipulates your mind to get you to speak his will. Mm -hmm. And when you speak his will, it comes into existence. He didn't do it. You did it. He deceived you into doing it. He manipulates your mind, gets you to speak his will. Here's the issue. Believers are speaking the will of the enemy over their lives more than the word of God over their lives. He wants to deceive your mind and he just wants to snatch the Bible. He wants to make sure that you don't know the word of God. Just make sure you put this on the shelf because if you don't know this, I'm going to tell you what I think about it. I think this is never going to work. I think you need to leave him right now. I think you need to do this. I think you need to just quit. I I think you need to. And if I can get you to come into agreement with that, then then what happens is it releases the power and the authority. Somebody say, I did this to myself. We're on joy. 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 Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope. I love that. You can't get hope anywhere else. Some of you are waiting for a circumstance to change so that you can get more hope. He is the source of hope. I pray that he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Yes, indeed. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we end by talking about this? You can come. Immovable faith. Immovable joy and immovable surrender. Mm. 